to Dallas by Robert P. Fitton. Return to Dallas, Chapter 20. 4907 Magazine Street, New Orleans, Louisiana, Friday evening, August 16, 1963. Another note from Pilatus at the hotel's main desk indicated that he wanted to meet Patch at dusk at 4907 Magazine Street in the city. A nervous Patch convinced Sherry not to take the Impala, and they proceeded on foot with a small notebook and the camera. He did not trust Pilatus or anyone else, and he had tucked the 38 in his jacket pocket. Patch set up a position behind a telephone pole a hundred feet down the sidewalk and across from 4907 Magazine Street, a small duplex with a slight overhanging porch. As darkness fell, a car pulled up in front of the apartment. A Latin man and another guy walked up to the porch. Lee Oswald opened the front door and let them inside. I should have known. Obviously, Pilatus knew. Yes, I did, said a voice from behind. The man from Jackson Square, hair more dirty blonde, slicked back, wore a blue and white shirt with light chinos. He saluted as he approached from behind. Patch took Sherry's hand and backed up. Pilatus, I am he. He stared like a cat with crossed paws ready to pounce on its prey. The man across the street, entering Oswald's place. I'll call him Q. So what? Oswald thinks he's working for Castro. Plaz shook his head. Not the case. He's anti-Castro all the way. Who are you? asked Patch. I wanted to meet you in person. I did some background checking on you through my contacts. Your file is classified, Kincaid. She lives in Spokane and taught sixth grade at the Corson Middle School until she left last year. I have no idea how you two linked up. Sherry spoke from behind Patch. How do you know all this? Not important. Then who am I? Told you I can't access that. But I will tell you this. You appear to be following a man I've known since we were both in the service together in Japan. He's being used by multiple agencies. Primarily, he's an FBI informant, but he's deep with naval intelligence, the anti-Castro Cubans, the Direction General Intelligentsia in Havana, the KGB, the CIA, organized crime, and there may be more. It's crazy, but the main one is the student group DRE. They're being funded by the thousands from an intelligence controller. I will only give you his cover name, Howard. Why are they funding exile groups, asked Patch. Like everything else, to fight Castro or to make him look bad. If they had their way, an invasion would take place tomorrow morning at sunrise. Does Washington know about this, asked Patch. No comment. Your game, Kincaid, he said laughing. Lemon is sooner or later going to cross them or mine. I strongly suggest that you leave the city and disappear forever. He made a gesture with his fingers as if he were walking. Get out of this while you can, because sooner or later they'll kill you. Why? asked Patch, maintaining his distance. This Cuban thing is a menace. It's made killers out of patriots. It's brought out the haters like Bannister and Ferry. 
and they're in tight with the anti-Castro people you should be aware of. David Morales, Bernard Barker, Frank Sturgis, Arcacia Smith. Listen to me. Has a man named Pasquale called you? Pat shook his head. No, but I want to know what Oswald is really up to. Like I said, Oswald is being handled, used for propaganda. That's all right now. He moved down the steps until he looked into Patch's eyes. It's all in the name of killing Castro. I'm going to do my job for numerous people. Sherry spoke from behind. An impassionate speech for someone just giving advice. Pilatus did not smile and kept the same flaccid countenance. All I have to do is say the word, and David Phillips will have me put a bullet between your eyes. Is that what you want? Who is Phillips? He shook his head as if he were disgusted. Right. You're an amateur. Don't play games with me. There's somebody following us. What's that supposed to mean to me? A sticker with a number on it, on his binoculars. What's the number? He asked, pulling out a notebook out of his pants pocket. OP-921E2, and I have his tag number, 101-81939. What state? He asked, writing down the numbers. North Carolina, she said. Pilatus looked up quickly. North Carolina? Yes, the dealership was at Nag's Head, Patch added. Pilatus stared at him. He placed the notebook in his pocket. Do not send this information anywhere. You haven't, have you? No. Good. What is it? Pilatus said nothing more and walked diagonally across the lawn and then down the sidewalk into the dark. Patch took two steps after him and then turned to Sherry. He knows Sherry. The door opened at Oswald's apartment. Patch pressed his lips. We're going to walk lovey-dovey by that apartment on this side of the road. Okay. He put his arm around her as they ambled forward. They were directly across the street as Oswald accompanied the two men to their car. He briefly looked over at Patch and Sherry, but continued his conversation with the two men. We would be proud to have you join the Fair Play for Cuba committee. Just send your application back to the house here. Thank you, said the dark-haired man. The car started as Patch and Sherry approached the next corner. Patch steered her to the right. The engine grew louder and the car continued down the street. Oswald climbed the stairs and closed the apartment door. What now, Patchy? We're going to get the Impala and check into another hotel, maybe outside of town. Agreed? I think this is very dangerous. I don't trust Pilatus, said Patch. Sherry pointed at Patch. He knows who Buck is working for. He does. Maybe he has orders to kill us and is giving us a chance to leave. We'll stay away from the post office for a few days. I think he's a nutcase, she said. I don't discount that either. And your file patch is classified. I'll figure that out. With no memory, she asked as they headed back toward the main road. That's a good one. Right. Now we know why Mr. Oswald is so important. Propaganda. He's being used for propaganda. Maybe, Patch nodded and looked back through the yards on Magazine Street. If what he said is true, then Oswald really doesn't know who he's working for. 
No one can balance all those allegiances without getting into serious trouble with someone. New Orleans, Louisiana, Saturday, August 17, 1963, 6.05 p.m. Patch sat next to a little table model radio. Sherry joined him on the couch. So, Mr. Oswald hits it big time on the radio, she said. Patch squinted with his fingers together in a praying position. He's on the radio for publicity. Well, I could think of better publicity than going on the air and telling everyone you're a communist. Patch looked up slowly. Exactly. The fact that he's a communist will be heard everywhere. Why? Why has he done anything he's ever done? I don't get it. This is the first in a series of Latin listening post interviews of persons more or less directly concerned with the conflict between the United States and Cuba. In subsequent programs... We will present talks with the people who are connected with the Cuban refugee organizations, people who are connected with President Batista, and United States citizens with direct states in the outcome of the Cuban situation. Tonight we have with us a representative of probably the most controversial organization connected with Cuba in this country. The person, Lee Oswald, Secretary of the New Orleans Chapter of the Fair Play for Cuba Committee. Patch raised his brows at Sherry. This organization has long been on the Justice Department's blacklist and is a group generally considered to be the leading pro-Castro body in the nation. So, Patch, why is Bannister's address on those pamphlets? Makes no sense. Sure it does. Oswald's trying to penetrate the organization, or make them look bad. Young Lee Oswald was arrested and convicted for disturbing the peace. He was arrested for passing out pro-Castro literature to a crowd, which included several violently anti-Castro refugees. Patch pointed at the radio. Carlos Bringier? They make it sound like the 1917 Russian Revolution. He walked to the window, but turned when Oswald's voice came over the radio. For 23 years old, he sounded remarkably articulate. We have decided to feel out the public what they think of our organization and the aims and for what purpose we have, as you said, been distributing literature on the street for the purpose of trying to attract new members and feel out the public. Then what is he doing with the CIA guy, Shaw? asked Sherry. The whole thing is a sham. And someone called the TV stations? They were filming that thing at the trademark. Oswald certainly has his face out there now. Are you at liberty to reveal the membership of your organization? No, I am not. Of course not, said Patch, laughing. He's the only guy. For what reason? Well, as secretary, I believe it is a standing operating procedure that our organization, consisting of a political minority, protect the names and addresses of its members, and I have every, uh, uh, that that is my duty and the reason that I do that. Patch returned to the window and looked over the iron railing toward the amusement park roller coaster. He sounds too good, like he's been rehearsed. I was just going to say that. He returned to the couch and listened to a detailed discussion by Oswald of the Cuban and Russian situation. Then he spoke of Ghana and the countries in Africa as he tried to skirt the issue as to whether Castro was really a communist. The host provided a barrage of reading and quoting for some time. 
Yet Oswald answered as adeptly as someone at the State Department. Then he asked someone to write to the Times-Picayune newspaper's letter to the editor. He mentioned the TV station, said Patch, like he's garnering publicity. This guy's been rehearsed, sweetness. Listen to him talk in depth about Latin America. How does this average guy who worked at a coffee company know so much about the history of Nicaragua? Contrasting their agricultural system with Cuba? Patch stroked his chin at the window. I want to know who the hell Rosselli has linked us to. We'll have to figure that one out. They'll never tell us. Audio recording, three and a half inch reel, August 17th, 1963. This is Lemon. I am recording this tape in New Orleans. Lee Oswald again handed out his Marxist pamphlets. This time he was with two other men in front of the International Trade Mart in New Orleans. The intelligence operative, Clay Shaw, saw the operation from down the sidewalk. I have photographs on the roll included in this mailing. One man refused to work with Oswald and threw the flyers in a trash container after being paid by Oswald. The other man and Oswald continued to hand out pamphlets to all who went by the trademark. I received a note from a man identified only as Pilatus. It reads as follows. Mr. Kincaid, you are walking into something you best stay away from. I don't know you and have nothing to gain by telling you the people you are dealing with only care about what they want to accomplish. Sincerely, Pilatus. Later, in front of Oswald's apartment at 4907 Magazine Street, we met Pilatus in person. He warned me that Oswald was associated with numerous government intelligence agencies. He advised us to leave town. On August 17th, we listened to Oswald on WDSU talk in detail about his activities as the secretary of the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, as well as the situation in Latin America. Lemon out. Return to Dallas, Chapter 21. The Venture Motel, Pontchartrain Beach, New Orleans, Louisiana, Monday, August 19, 1963, 1.15 p.m. Patch studied the ornate black iron railing along the second floor balcony of the little hotel. Sherry held his arm as they skirted the grass and sand area, separating them from the entrance of the Pontchartrain amusement park. She read the pamphlet for the park that she had picked up in the hotel lobby. The entrance resembled a highway toll gate with a sweeping white wooden roller coaster towering over a smattering of little palm trees. Patch, this looks like a good place to get away from the surveillance and have fun. He smiled as he looked at the roller coaster in the sunshine. I'm all for that. His face morphed into serious as he continued his mini-surveillance of every street corner and alcove all the way up to Lafayette Square. Near the post office, he approached a kid with his short hair combed back on the sides. He offered the truant teenager named Newton $5 to enter the Lafayette Postal Street Annex and retrieve his mail from P.O. Box 300543. Then he and Sherry waited on a slotted park bench. He crossed his legs as Newton in his t-shirt and jeans walked up the stone steps. Pilatus is very clever, Patch, and we're just sitting ducks. I'm aware of that. Shaw is a problem, too. I think they're following him. You could be working for the Russians. Patch shook his head. Rosselli hates the Russians, and he's friends with Bill Harvey, and Harvey is an intelligence agent. Yes, he is, but I don't think he's involved with what we're doing. Marcelli would have introduced him, 
or maybe not. She opened her leather bag and slipped out the juicy fruit gum. She leaned the pack toward Patch. He shook his head. What about Oswald? She asked, putting a stick in her mouth. Face it, Patch. We're smacked in the middle of an intelligence operation. Pilatus dropped a name, Howard. Howard is the controller of a lot of people. I think Oswald is one person, and they have him either trying to piss off Carlos and his people, or trying to discredit the fair play for Cuba thing. Our reports are worth it to someone who can shell out thousands, with Pilatus watching all this for somebody else, and him telling us to sit on this North Carolina information. Patch tilted his head back and laughed. Oh, what's so funny? Here you are reading those spy novels, and now you're in the middle of all this. She chewed and smiled. Real funny, Patchy, real funny. If we don't get killed, it should be pretty interesting. He looked up when Newton exited the post office with a manila envelope in his hand. Here he comes. Patch again looked around the park as he stood. Newton crossed the street and walked up to them. Anybody watching you in there, Newton? No, sir. Except the man at the counter. He was sorting mail. He handed the little key to Patch and then the envelope. Shouldn't you be in school, asked Sherry. What are you, a teacher, ma'am? As a matter of fact, I am, but not here. Oh, you have a phone number, Newton? Asked Patch. You ain't gonna turn me in, are you? No, I just may need someone to go to that box again and I'll call you. Sherry handed him a pen and her little notebook. You are a teacher, I can tell, ma'am. He wrote down his number on the page. Patch handed him $5. Thank you, sir. We'll be in touch. Newton held the $5 bill with both hands and then stuffed it in his jeans as he turned. He waved and disappeared across the park near the Henry Clay statue. That kid can't believe his good fortune. Patch ripped the Manila envelope's corner. He felt more money inside, but he dragged out the typewritten yellow paper. We're going to a party. 601 Royal. Just says check for Oswald and his associates. Another 500 for us. They're getting stingy. And Oswald is on the radio again, Wednesday night, same time, same station. You see what's happening here, Patch? For whatever reason, Oswald's name, or I should say his notoriety, is getting out there. Maybe he'll head back to Russia. Or Cuba. They meandered around the park, but Patch still worried about being tailed. He looked over his shoulder at the park's pamphlet. Here, she said, placing the pamphlet in his hand as they sat on the bench. I knew you wanted to go to that park. Maybe. He ran his fingers over the map of the park. Ferris wheel. I like Ferris wheels. What about the Zephyr roller coaster, she asked. Patch grinned and panned the colorful flower beds. They have a German ride, the Wild Mouth. Skyride looks good. I like being up in the sky. Then he imagined the horizon, the light, the blue sky, and the curved earth. 601 Royal Street, the French Quarter, New Orleans, Louisiana, Monday night, August 19, 1963, 9 p.m. Patch parked the Impala away from the streetlight behind an extended hedge. As Sherry read the Bond novel Thunderball under the glove compartment's light, he aimed the sound amplifier at the upscale light-colored house. An hour and a half had passed, but he had learned little of value. The party noise had messed up the conversation and political arguments between Oswald and the students inside the house. Around 10.30 p.m., Oswald, Ferry, and a few students holding drinks appeared on the iron-railed terrace. 
The glow of the yard lamps and the interior light cast a milky glaze over them as they traded sharp words about United States foreign policy. There he is. She looked up from the book and leaned toward the headphone. Why are they so upset? Cuba is a hot issue. Patch pointed the amp toward the terrace and started the recorder. How many failures do we have to have before Castro is gone? Asked Oswald. They've tried to kill him now. How many times? Ferry replied. For me, I would kill him with cancer. Ferry's nuts. You know what Goldfinger said? Once it's happenstance, twice it's coincidence, and the third time it's enemy action. Patch thought about that for a second as someone in the background responded to Ferry. Why killing with cancer would work. Go ahead, laugh. I have it on good authority through the best doctors in the country right here at Tulane that injectable cancer could kill. And it will cause Uncle Fidel to expire. Like your mice? No, monkeys. Ferry shook his head. I've written medical briefs for attorney Gill. Where'd you get your doctor's degree in the quarter? Patch smiled but was confused by Ferry. Those mice had a stench keeping them in cages, killing somebody with cancer. Come on. You'll see when somebody actually does die from a cancer infection. You'll know when I know. Young dark-haired woman took Ferry by the arm and led him around the corner of the terrace. David, what do you think of Dr. Sherman and Asha would say if they knew you were talking about a classified project? Ferry shook his head. Who cares? What you do not realize, my dear, is Dr. David Ferry has spoken. He yelled about Kennedy in the Bay of Pigs. Oswald stood back as Ferry, all the way back inside the house, called the president a traitor. Then the conversation blended in with the rest of the party. Oswald talked briefly to the dark-haired woman and they stepped back inside the house. Oswald so easily floats into the role he needs to play, said Sherry. I frankly don't think he cares either way in Cuba. It's whoever he's with. In his own little world, she said. Oswald is not suave and sophisticated, but he's smart and very clever. But killing with cancer? I think he has big ideas, Ferry. Do I look like the director of Central Intelligence? Asked Ferry, probably still annoyed from the terrorist argument. I protest your sarcasm. Oh, shut up. Patch lost their voices in the conversation. Sherry kissed his cheek. Are they done, Patch? Well, we're done here. Nothing new except Howard, the controller. Get to Howard and you'll find out who's controlling this whole operation. Or to Bishop. The Venture Motel, Pontchartrain Beach, New Orleans, Louisiana, Wednesday, August 21st, 1963, 6.05 p.m. Patch, the radio thing is about to start, she called from the bed. The Bakelite Philco radio had a speaker that produced a clear, resonating fidelity. It's time for conversation card blanks. Here is Bill Slater. Good evening, and for the next few minutes, Bill Stuckey and I... Bill, whose program you probably heard last Saturday night, Latin Listening Post, Bill and I are going to be talking with three gentlemen on the subject mainly revolving around Cuba. Our guests tonight are Lee Harvey Oswald, Secretary of the New Orleans Chapter of the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, a New Orleans headquartered organization 
which is generally recognized as the principal voice of the Castro government in this country. Patch stood and slowly paced as Stuckey gave a background of the fair play for Cuba committee. He mentioned the fight on the street and how Oswald was arrested. Then he talked about Oswald's marine background. You did live in Russia for three years. That is correct. I think the fact that I did live in the Soviet Union gives me excellent qualifications to repudiate charges that Cuba and the Fair Play for Cuba Committee are communist controlled. Fair Play for Cuba Committee, as the name implies, is concerned primarily with Cuban-American relations. How many people do you have in your committee here in New Orleans? I cannot reveal that as Secretary of the Fair Play for Cuba Committee. You know, he handles himself well, whatever the hell he's trying to accomplish. Is it a secret society? No, Mr. Butler, it is not. However, it is standard operating procedure for a political organization consisting of a political minority to safeguard the name and the number of its members. Well, the Republicans are a minority, and I don't see them hiding their membership. Well, the Republicans are not. A, uh, well, Republicans are an established political party representing a great many people. They represent no radical point of view. They do not have a very violent, sometimes emotional opposition as we do. We? He, Patch moved toward the refrigerator. Coke? Thanks. He opened the bottles and grabbed a couple of glasses as Oswald and Stucky continued. Are you a Marxist? Yes, I am a Marxist. What's the difference? The difference is primarily the difference between a country like Ghana, Ghana, Yugoslavia, China, Russia, very great differences. Differences we appreciate by giving aid, let's say to Yugoslavia in the sum of a hundred million dollars or so a year. That is extraneous. What's the difference? The difference, as I have said, is a very great difference. Many parties in the countries are based on Marxism. Many countries such as Great Britain display very socialistic aspects or characteristics. I might point at the socialized medicine in Britain. I was speaking of, gentlemen, I have to interrupt. We'll be back in a moment to continue this kind of lively discussion after this message. I've heard enough, said Patch. What do you think? What I did before the show. He's playing both sides, and now he's up the ante with this exposure. This is a very delicate operation. I didn't think that at first when he was handing out those pamphlets. Patch finished the coke. You're right. Whoever's paying us wants to know exactly what Mr. Oswald is doing. Complete audiobook of Return to Dallas is available at audible.com.